Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We had a tremendous service on Sunday with Brother Zerpoli, didn't we? I mean, he preached a fantastic message, and I'm sure it was a great blessing to you. And uh, you don't know this, but I was scheduled to speak on that Sunday. And he bumped me out. And then, to make matters worse, he stole my message. So this is hot off the press from the Lord for you tonight. And I pray that it will be a blessing. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 and verse 36. Mark 4, 35 and 36. The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. Now, if you heard the message on Sunday, you heard about the disciples going through the storm and how Jesus was upset with them because he had made the declaration before the journey began that they were going to the other side. He may have even asked the question when they woke him up, are we on the other side yet? Because that was next on the agenda. And God's agenda is never interrupted by man's agenda. No matter how great the storm, no matter how difficult you may think things are, when God says something's going to happen, it is going to happen. It is on the calendar and you can mark it down. But the thing I want you to see tonight is the multitude versus the one. The multitude versus the one. And I'm asking you a question tonight, church. Will you leave the multitude? Will you leave the multitude? Now, in logic, we would think that if you're a If you're the Lord or if you're the disciples, the multitude gathering of thousands of people, that's the goal. That is the objective. Get as many people as you can to hear what the Lord has to say, to give the teaching that will transform their lives. The multitude is the goal. But it says here that he dismissed the multitude. Had the disciples get into a ship and ultimately go through a terrible storm in which they thought that they were going to lose their lives, only to finally get to the other side and find not a multitude of people, but one man. And not just one man, a demon-possessed man. Now, if I was a disciple, I, I certainly wouldn't want to say it, but I would at least think it. Are you serious? You caused us to leave the multitudes? You put us through a terrible storm in which we thought we were going to lose our lives, and when we get to the other side, this is who we're ministering to? One guy? And the guy's the worst of the worst. Nobody likes him. He's an outcast. He's demon-possessed. We should have stayed where we were. But I want you to know that Jesus sees the value of one soul. No matter how wicked, no matter how terrible, no matter how desperate they are, Jesus is going to do everything he can to get to even one, even if it means 
leaving a multitude, leaving a multitude. So tonight, again, we're asking, will you leave the multitudes? Now, people have a tendency to get caught up in numbers and polls. Of course, this is an election year for the presidency. You're going to hear a lot about polls, and you're going to hear a lot about numbers and, and things like that, and, and don't, believe it, don't believe it. It's just not true, and it's just not accurate. Matthew 6 and 24 says, No man can serve two masters. Now notice this. You only have a choice between one of two. You will hate. That's a strong word. You will hate the one and you will love the other or you will hold on to the one and you will despise the the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. And the one you love is contrary to the one that you will hate. The extremes of emotion on either side, love or hate. 1 Corinthians 14 and 10 reads this way. There are, as it may be, many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Who are you listening to? There are many people talking. The airwaves are full of words, opinions, ideas. And all of them seem good. All of them seem important. All of them seem legitimate. But what voices are you listening to? Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Singular, my voice. And another they will not follow. Why? Because they love their shepherd, and they hate the devil and the Antichrist. They hate him. John 20 and 29, concerning Thomas, Jesus said to Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are they that have not seen, and yet they have believed. Now you haven't seen God, You probably hear God in your mind. I don't know if you hear audible voices or not, but sometimes we have to walk by faith and not by sight. This is a common thing of our enemy too. The God, small g, of this world has blinded some people. They're totally blind. That helps you to understand how people can come to such ridiculous conclusions about some things and some of the things they do. It is because they have been blinded. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. God opens our eyes. He opens our ears. He opens our understanding to the scripture so that we don't follow the multitudes. Here's a saying worth writing down. Hate needs a crowd, but love can stand alone. The greatest example of this is Jesus Christ himself, standing all alone against a crowd that hates him. The crowd also develops what I call a mob mentality. I also refer to it as the hate of the herd. Did you ever notice that sin prefers 
darkness and numbers, not light or alone. When people get together, even if they're in a wrong cause, they can get caught up in a mob mentality and end up doing things they would never do by themselves. And doing them in the darkness or the cloak of darkness is also a referral to the one that they're following. Our deeds need to be done in the light, not in the darkness. Take a look here at the crucifixion of Jesus, as I mentioned just a little bit earlier. Let me show you how this comes to be. Let me point out the agitators in the crucifixion of Jesus. It was the high priest. It was the religious leaders that were jealous of Jesus. The people that had once come to them for advice, the ones that praised and sang their praises and sought them out for their great wisdom. Many of them were now followers of Jesus. He was their competition. And people don't like competition. They don't like their office being threatened. And so these religious leaders and and the high priest decided, we're going to fire up the people. We're going to agitate them. He's a false god. If he's the true god, let him set up his throne right here on the earth. And Jesus did not come to establish his kingdom at this time on the earth. And they said, see, that makes him a false prophet. And false prophets need to be eliminated. And so they fired up the people. And look at how people in their anger, in their hate, in their despising of somebody can lose all rationale, all justice, all righteousness with their anger. How, uh, how can you find a man innocent and yet scourge him? How can a man be found with no fault and yet be crucified? It is completely the opposite of what our judicial system teaches us. And yet, in his innocence and in his purity, he was crucified because a mob, a hate, rose up and declared that Jesus needed to be eliminated. And that's what they set out to do. And they threatened even Pilate and said, well, if you don't do this, Caesar's going to come against you. And pretty soon, the mob mentality and the hate of the herd had turned on Jesus. And in one accord, I said in one accord, and in one place, they yelled out together, crucify him, crucify him. Let his blood be on us and on our children and our children's children. And my, how the Jews have suffered great persecution for the words that they yelled against Jesus. I'm asking you today, are you willing to leave the multitudes? Are you willing to stand up for what is right? Are you willing to do what is contrary to the mob mentality? Are you willing? Some people say, well, everybody does it. I never met any, anybody or everybody. Have you? Who is everybody? 
The, the ones you see on television, the ones that are on the radio, the ones that are getting the airtime, are they everybody? They are not everybody. I still believe in America. I still believe that there are people in this country that not only love God, but love their country and are willing to stand up and do what it takes to continue to be the America that God wants it to be. They're still here. The thing that holds Satan back from ruling completely is that the church is alive and well and still standing in the gap for those that are lost and for righteousness' sake. Just because everybody does it, doesn't make it right. That's right. Does that make it right? And here's another thing to consider concerning the multitudes. Consider these passages of scripture for just a minute. 25% of the soil that Jesus mentioned in the parable of the sower was good and reproduced. Half of it never amounted to anything. 25% of it never produced anything because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choked the word and it became unfruitful. But that last 25% was good and reproductive. I want to be a part of the 25%, not the 75%. If all that ever heard the word if all that had ever been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost were still in the church today, you wouldn't be able to contain it throughout this entire building or even on this property. People are gonna come and people are gonna go. That's the way of the multitude. But some people are gonna stay and they're gonna wear it out. The race is not to the swift, but to he that endureth to the end. Finish what you start. Go all the way across the sea. Finish what you start. Or how about this? Straight is the gate. Narrow is the path. And few there be that find it. Doesn't sound like the majority to me. Doesn't sound like the multitude will be saved. It sounds like the opposite. And how about this? Jesus heals 10 lepers. And what is his question about the multitude? When one comes back to thank him, and that was a Samaritan, he said, where are the nine? Where are the nine? So when you begin to look around and say, hey, not everybody's here that was once here. Or people are beginning to fall away. Or one of your friends has an offense and leaves the church. Don't be too concerned. Don't think that it's not possible to happen to anyone or everyone. Even your best friend, the one that you've went to church with all of these years, may one day turn their back on God and no longer walk with him. And it will always be somebody else's fault. But as for me 
and my house. You do what you think you need to do. But as for me and my house, we will continue to serve the Lord. Don't get caught up in the numbers. I want to tell you a a story tonight. It's a story that took place during the captivity of Israel to the Babylonians. Israel was in bondage. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon. And the people that were in his kingdom, the Babylonians, hated the Jews. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had some favorites among these Jews. He loved Daniel. He loved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. At least four out of all the Hebrews. He really cared for them. And he trusted in their counsel. So these Babylonians were jealous of the favoritism of the king, and they came up with this wicked plan. They said, you know what? Let's appeal to Nebuchadnezzar's pride and convince him that we should set up an image and that people should bow down to his image, bow down to his image in honor of this great king. And of course, if you make a law, there has to be a consequence or a penalty for breaking that law. And so we know that there are some Jews that will not bow down. So let's make the rule, and then if they break the rule or break the law, we'll require that they be thrown into a fiery furnace. That's how we can get rid of these Jews. And that was their plan. Now, they didn't mention the Jews when they brought up the plan to Nebuchadnezzar. They said, oh, you're such a great king, Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody should love you and and worship you and, and bow down to your image. We must have a united kingdom if we are to continue to be great. Sounded pretty good to Nebuchadnezzar. And so they instituted the plan He signed off on it. They put out the decree and everybody knew what was required. And then the day came for the unveiling of the image. And they made the announcement, when you hear the music, you will all bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, the great and wonderful king that we serve. And if you don't, There's a fiery furnace waiting for you because you are trying to divide our country. So the music played and everybody bowed down. Not just the Babylonians, but many of the brothers of three Hebrew boys. Matter of fact, everyone but three Hebrew children bowed down when the music played. Can you imagine that? The music begins to play. Everybody's afraid. And they begin to bow down and do reverence to get Nebuchadnezzar's image, except for three boys standing alone while the mob, the multitude, bowed down to the image. And the Babylonians came to Nebuchadnezzar and said, well, 
A lot of people love you, Nebuchadnezzar. Did you see how they bowed down? Did you see how they, how they worshiped you when the music began to play? But we want to report to you, it's a, it's a small matter. I'm sure you can take care of it in no time. These three boys broke the law. They knew what the law was. They knew what the penalty of the law was. And yet, they did not bow down. You're going to have to do something about that. Because if you don't do something about that, people will think they can break your rules and not be held accountable. Nebuchadnezzar was in a tough spot because he loved these boys. I can picture him coming up and saying, hey, boys, maybe you didn't get the memo. Maybe you weren't paying attention when the announcement was made. But when the music plays, you are supposed to bow down to my image and you are supposed to worship and if you don't, you're putting me in a bad way. You're making me look bad to my constituents uh, because I'm supposed to throw you into this fiery furnace. So I'll tell you what. Let's try this again. We're going to give you a, a second chance. What do you have to say to that? And listen to what these Hebrew children say. They didn't say, well, I'll tell you what. We're going to pray about it. We're, we're, going to have, we're going to confer with some people. Try and get some godly counsel. We'll get back to you in a, in a few hours, maybe a day. Let us take this under consideration. They didn't say that. They said, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. Our God whom we serve, the one God that we serve is able to deliver us. And if he doesn't, then so be it. But know this, we will not bow down. And Nebuchadnezzar was upset. He was in a tough spot. He'd signed off on this agreement. The penalty was waiting. And they wouldn't bow down. So he ordered them to be put in a fiery furnace to his dismay. He even offered encouraging words before they went in. Perhaps your God, your, perhaps your God will deliver you. And he watched as they went into, the, into that fiery furnace and the guards that led them in were all consumed with the fire and yet they were not. And there they were in the bottom of this fiery furnace and he looked down in there and he said did not we send three but I see four and one seems to be unto the son of man it looks like a man is with them and they are not consumed by the fire and he brings them up out of that fiery furnace and there's not even the smell of smoke on these boys the fourth vanishes, but the third appear before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is so impressed with their God that he promotes the three Hebrew children and declares that their God is the one true God. And from this point forward, we will worship their God. 
He completely reverses the tables because they wouldn't bow down. What's your point, Brother Kylie? I'm saying don't get caught up with the mob. Don't bow down. And let me tell you this. When you hear the national anthem being played, don't bow down. Stand up. Square your shoulders. Sing the national anthem with your hand over your heart. When you hear the music, don't bow down. Don't bow down to the song of this world. Don't be a part of the mob mentality. Be the one of the three that, as the Hebrew children, stood up. You gotta know when to bow down and you gotta know when to stand up. And yeah, I think there's a time to be on your knees before the Lord Jesus Christ, at an altar, in your home praying. Yeah, that's fine, bow down then. But not with the crowd. Not with the crowd. When you hear the music, don't bow down. I've also heard this saying, and I want to give you this. I hope it will encourage you and, and give you an answer to some of the questions that your friends may ask you. Hey, Rick, the office is going out tonight after work. We're going to have a few drinks and have a big time together. We'd like you to join us. Bow down with us to alcohol. Hey, Rick, we're going to smoke some weed. We got some really great drugs. We're going to have a little party tonight, get high. We'd like you to join us. Be a part of what we're doing. What we're doing. You say, well, what, what are you going to say to that? Why? Well, I've got 12 words for you. Write your 12 words down. Here they come. You ready? 12 words. I don't need it. I don't want it. And I've got something better. Did you hear it? What a, why don't you do this stuff? How come, you, how come you don't participate like the rest of us? We're not of this world. We're just passing through, folks. We're here for a short time. And what the world is offering, here's my answer. I'm not careful to answer you in this matter. I don't need it. I don't want it. And I've got something better. I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. I've got peace which passes all understanding. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not something you can take in earthly, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You got something better than the world has ever tasted. And I'm going to conclude with this tonight. June 18th, 1910. Teddy Roosevelt is coming back from Africa 
his tour, and he has arrived at New York Harbor. As the ship comes in, there are also a missionary couple on that ship. They are an elderly couple. They came from the same area in Africa that Teddy Roosevelt had been. They didn't know it. They didn't know that Teddy Roosevelt was on this ship. So when the ship came into the harbor and they heard millions, it it is said that there was one million people that waited for the president at New York Harbor. And they had bands playing and it was a big hullabaloo. And everybody was all excited because the president was coming back to New York Harbor. And here is this elderly missionary couple who have given their lives to the foreign missions field, ministered to many people, but they come home and there's nobody waiting for them at the dock. They don't have a lot of money. Their future is uncertain and they're concerned. And finally, the man was so concerned and so bothered by it that he took a chance and he said, Lord, pardon me for being so blunt, but this man comes home from an easy lifestyle and almost a vacation in Africa and a million people come to see him and shout his praises and the bands play and it's a big hullabaloo and my wife and I come home and there's not even one person waiting on the dock to greet us. We don't have a vehicle. We have to take a taxi cab to a motel to find out what we're going to do next. It just doesn't seem right to me. What's wrong with all of this? And this is what the Lord spoke to him and said to him. The reason you don't have the bands and the reason that you don't have the angels and the people shouting your coming and appearance is very simple. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Jesus Help us to be willing to leave the multitudes. Help us to recognize that there's somebody waiting for us. And there are other times where you have brought people right to our door, and it is our opportunity to be used of you. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and we'll continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.